Thanks for taking the time to listen to these recordings of our Sunday morning sermons. The Door Church is one church in two locations on mission to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory, and we'd love to have you join us. To learn more about our gatherings in Louisville and Argyle, Texas, visit our website at thedoorchurch.net. Now, let's worship God by opening His Word. Okay, welcome to the Door Church. Uh, if you have your Bible, grab it. We're, we're going to be in Lamentations chapter 3. We'll pick up probably in verse 31 through 33, Lamentations 3, uh, verse 31. If you're new here, my name is Scott Brooks. I'm the lead pastor. I'm on the preaching team. Uh, we, we have a preaching team, and so you'll see different um, men up here trained uh, with really gospel-centered preaching, and that's uh, exalting Christ from the text, and we do that on purpose. Uh, because we are just the mailmen uh, that deliver Jesus. And so Jesus is the point, uh, and I'm grateful to be here with you this morning. Um, Lamentations chapter 3, I'll pick up in verse 31 through 33, and 33s we'll be looking at uh, for the most part. It says this, For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love, For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. So let's pray. God, we thank you for this word. I thank you that you continually disclose who you you are, God, through your word. I thank you uh, for the affliction that you bring about in my life and our our church's life, that we would see Jesus more clearly because of it. Uh, We'd have an eternal hope and not a temporal hope because of this text, and that'd lead us to, to joy and strength and just to become more like you, Jesus, and I ask that you speak to us in particular ways uh, through your word and by your spirit. We ask that in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. All right, so we're continuing on in the, the Heart, of, Heart of Christ series, and so uh, what we've been doing is looking at the, the scriptures and looking at, um, man, who who God is and how he, dis, how, how he discloses himself to us. Um, and if you've been here for the, the sermon series, we started with the text uh, much like that bumper video is Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29. It will be up on the screen. I'll just read it. it. says this, come to me. Jesus is talking, come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It goes on to say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, uh, and you will find rest for your souls. This is a, an amazing verse uh, because Jesus is sharing who he is in his, in his inner being. He says, this is who I am uh, in my heart. So all the scriptures, uh, the gospel tells about who Jesus is, what, he, what he's done, um, and, and miracles, healings, uh, his teachings, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. But here it tells us in his heart of hearts who he is. It's a very special thing that Jesus reveals to us, that he is gentle and lowly in heart. The, the, the beckoning is to come to him. In his gentleness and his lowliness, he meets us in our brokenness, uh, in our in our sins and our sufferings. That's what he calls us. Come to me. I want to give you rest. I want to give you soul rest. That's Jesus saying, come to my very heart. Uh, what's amazing about this labor, he says, come to us all who labor. Um, we, we are a laboring society where we try to to do everything by performance. We win people's affection by what? How well we perform. We get raises on how well we perform. Um, and we, we think that God will love us depending on how well we live and how well we perform even the Ten Commandments. And so if you've ever been on a, a treadmill, 
That's what performance treadmill is, is you're running real, real, real hard, exhausted, and then that you step off and you realize you've actually gone nowhere. Uh, that, that's what it's like trying to earn God's love, is being on that performance treadmill. You may be very exhausted, uh, but no less still a sinner separated from God, and he's talking, are you laboring? I want to give you rest. Step off the performance treadmill onto the finished work of Jesus Christ. Heavy laden is the idea of that we are exhausted and we're being just, you know, there's sinners and there's sufferers. And some of us have experienced extreme suffering. We're heavy laden. We're burdened. We're exhausted by not only our own sin, but the sufferings and sins against us. He says, I want to give you rest. You're not defined by your sufferings, but the rest that I can provide you. And he beckons this invitation of soul rest. And you hear about Jesus in his heart of hearts. He says, I'm gentle and lowly. And um, we preach that. And and, and what's so amazing, I had so many good gospel conversations because a lot of people are like, I hear what you're saying about that performance treadmill and I'd like to step off, but I don't understand, man, what about the judgment of God? And what about the wrath of God, the justice of God? I I like that, that gentleness that you're talking about, the grace that you're talking about, but I'm kind of confused about some other passages I read. Don't they, don't they, you know, contradict each other? And when Jesus says, I'm gentle and lowly and hard, if you know your Bible, you probably have lots of objections, maybe in your head. That's why we're calling this a harmonized heart. Um, I wrote down just two. I actually wrote down three. I'm only going to share two. Once Sodom and Gomorrah, if you've ever read that story, uh, he destroys the city. I mean, raining sulfur, everyone dies. There's not one righteous. Like, well, how is Jesus gentle and lowly? And you got everyone's destroyed. Help me help harmonize that for me. Or if you've ever taught uh, your kids the Noah and his art story, you're like, we emphasize Noah and the ark, but everyone else died, right? So that's a pretty heavy story to, to talk about. Uh, where is God's gentle and lowly heart there. And so we're we're like, how do those fit together? And what I'd say is in scripture, there is uh, the wages of sin is death, like physical death, eternal separation from God. There is a literal hell where the wrath of God uh, will will be forever. Um, We do believe in the justice of God, the judgment of God, and God is gentle and lowly. And these are not contradicting in nature. And we can harmonize that uh, through scripture. And this text helps us. Uh, verse 33, for he does not what afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. So we're going to look at three different ways to look at this text. Is one, uh, we're going to try to bring harmony. Number two, we're going to look at the holiness of God. Number three, uh, we're going to look at the only hero, only hero that will suffice for, for sinners. So harmony, holy, and hero. The first thing I will look at is how can these be, how can these things be re, uh, reconciled? Gentle and lowly, wrath of God, judgment of God. Uh, the questions I think a lot of us have and the ones I got to feel on when we preached uh, this text uh, a few weeks ago is, is, does Jesus reveal something different than the Old Testament? Did God act a certain way in the Old Testament, the New Testament, something different? And um, I'll read uh, something on this that, 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 that I think is helpful. The, the incarnation, the incarnate son does not send our understanding of God spinning off into a new direction. Jesus simply provides uh, an unprecedented flesh and blood reality of what God had already been trying to convince, listen, trying to convince his people of down through the centuries. That's my hope this morning. Is that I convince you of the character and nature of God. I think if a lot of us think we need behavior work, and maybe what you need more of anything is, is belief work of who God is. 
uh, by the Spirit of God and the Word of God. When Christ unveiled his deepest heart as gentle and lowly, he is continuing on the natural trajectory of what God has already been revealing about himself throughout the Old Testament. Jesus provides a new sharpness to who God is, not fundamentally new content. So we want to bring a sharpness to who God is when he says he's gentle and lowly. So we go to Lamentation chapter 3, verse 33. It says that he does not, he does not afflict from his heart. He does not grieve the children of men from, from his heart. So in, 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 in Lamentations, um, I believe, most scholars believe that Jeremiah is, is the prophet of Lamentations. Uh, it is the lamenting the destruction of Jerusalem from 587 BC by the Babylons. There is horrors. If you just go read it, this is not a... This is not a, a, um, a, <laughs> a Disney ending. It, it, a lot of horrors of starvation, death, and hopelessness in the book of Lamentations. Um, the discipline of God, the destruction of God. But in verse 33 is, is the literary high point. This is if you had to like highlight what the book of Lamentations is about. Although there's lots of destruction in the book. This is what the, 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 it's all working towards. For what God does not afflict from its heart or grieve the children of men. And so what I want to work through uh, at the beginning is that, that God does afflict. There is, there is a justice of God. There's a discipline, a discipline of God. Um, he, is, he is sovereign over all, all of our sufferings and all of our affliction, all of our griefs. Sovereign means that he's in absolute control over, he's providence over everything we've ever experienced. Um, we don't shy away from that in scripture. And if you go read this, there's lots of things that may be scratch your head, but it says, man, he brought, uh, God brought that affliction. Um, I'll just read a few of those in Lamentations chapter one. It says, I am the man, I am the man who, who has, has seen affliction under the rod of what? His wrath, that's God's wrath. God, he has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. That, that's God, verse seven I mean, it's full of, full of he's. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. Um, it, it talks about that in verse 32. Though he causes grief. Who's the cause? God. So this text teaches that God is sovereign over all of our griefs and afflictions. Now, this may be like, well, how's that good news? Well, he's a good, loving father who's governing your life unto him. Um, and we can rest our heads even in our afflictions and our griefs because we know that God, God is good and he's doing something. Another way you could say it, sometimes you will not be able to trace his hand. I'm not suggesting that, but you should always trust his heart. And this is what he'll show you. And what I'll also say, not only is he sovereign over your stub toe uh, from an illness that you may have or a wayward kid, he's sovereign. He does not. He's not grieve or afflict. What does it say? From his heart. That's what it says. It's not in his inner core. It doesn't mean he doesn't do it, uh, but it's an ends, ends, it's means to an end. Uh, Isaiah 28, verse 21 is not gonna be on the screen, but you can go look it up later. It says that it's an alien work. This is not his natural work. That he, he, it's, he, he does it, but uh, there's a certain, I would say, divine reluctancy knowing there's an ultimate good. There's a divine reluctancy knowing there's an ultimate good. Um, Another way you can look at this is I'm not trying to, to pacify God, God does afflict, but what it's saying is um, he doesn't do it from his heart. He doesn't take joy in the pain and the sufferings that we're going through. There's no joy in that, but he, he will absolutely use it to bring him 
to himself. There's three ways that God purposes and wants to use uh, grief and affliction uh, in, in our lives. One, he wants you to have eternal life. More than anything in this physical life, he's actually not after your comfort. He's after your soul. In eternity, he wants to bring justification, sinners to a right relationship with God because you will live forever. And he wants you to live forever with him. He wants to bring you eternal life. That's justification. Number two, he wants to sanctify you. He wants you to become more like Jesus. Whether you know it or not, what you need more than anything this morning is to become more like Jesus, that's sanctification. And thir- thirdly, ultimately, he, he does give us over to destruction, but that's not a desire that he has. He takes no desire in the destruction of the wicked or to see sinners perish. So I'll use these. So it says he does grieve man and, and does afflict, but he doesn't do it from his heart. Justification. So one time, you know, there's a dad, really sweet dad, and all parents, I'm going to go on a limb. Most parents love their kids. Most, not all, they should be all. And they want an easy life for, for their kids. And usually, usually, I'll challenge parents on this. Do you want a good kid or do you want a kid who knows the Lord? Because a lot of people just want a good kid. And what our hope here at the Door Church is that your kid knows Jesus and has an eternal relation with God through his son. And so I was meeting with this dad one time a few years ago, and uh, he was like, I want you to mentor my kid. Um, and he had lots of mentors for his kid. And he's like, I need you to get him on the right path. And I was like, well, I'll do my best. And he's going to have to be broken. He's like, I don't, I don't want him to be broken. I was like, well, he's going to have to be broken. He's going to have to be broken so God can bind him up. And, and he was like, well, what does that mean? Well, we are broken. So another way you can say is we have to see our brokenness so we can actually look unto Christ for salvation. It says this in Job 5, 18, for he wounds. Who does that? God wounds, but he binds up. He shatters, but his hands heal. See, <laughs> you will only be bound up if you understand you're broken. That's the only way. See, you got to understand the bad news, not around you, but in you, for you ever to trust the good news, which is Jesus Christ. You have to have a moment where it's like, oh, crap. And we'll get to that here in a second. If you've never had an oh, crap moment, I hope you have one this morning. Because until you see who God is, you will never understand who you are, who you are really apart from uh, Jesus Christ, justification. So in college, grew up in a Christian home, went to church all the time, Sunday mornings, sometimes Sunday afternoons. My dad taught Sunday school. My mom loved the Lord, church camps, all of it. And I didn't get it at all. I, would, I was like, I'm gonna try to be a good person. And I wasn't. Try to be a good person, I wasn't. Even if I acted like it was, I knew internally I didn't wanna be a good person. So lots of struggles of second chances. I prayed the prayer, just never took, went to college, became an agnostic just because I'm a pretty honest person, um, at least I try to be, and, and I, just, I, I just had trouble saying, if I don't really believe this, or, you know, I'm not going to act, I'm not just going to act like it. So I was doing my own thing, trying to play baseball in, in college, and by God's grace, he afflicted me with a broken foot and brought grief upon my life. He took my God away, which was my athletic ability and what I, I thought I was great. And he showed me I was pretty much nothing and I had to hop along uh, the Texas Tech campus. Lots of sweat, lots of embarrassment, but all of that to bring me unto the Lord to hear about how, how God delivers uh, sinners and the brokenhearted. He brought me to the end of myself. Through a broken foot, he took everything away from me, but I'm so glad he did. He broke me to bind me up. He shattered me to heal me, and I would not trade anything for it. But he has to break us to bind us up. And a lot of these afflictions that we have is he cares so much about you. He's not going to allow you to have things 
that would bring comfort to your life apart from Jesus Christ. Sanctification, again, a lot of us try to put our hopes in this world that will eventually betray you. The truth is, the only thing you really have in life is Jesus, and he's enough. Sanctification, God, God disciplines the ones that he loves. And so it's a good news. It's good news when you see the world and, it, and its frailties and its failings. I remember when my dad got cancer, I never realized how much I'm so grateful for Jesus, the, re, the realities of it. Um, when my grandma passed away, someone asked me one time, I was like, what was God teaching me? I was like, man, the power of resurrection has never been so real. Because, I, I mean, I miss her, and I'm so grateful for her. Uh, and I'm grateful for Jesus. And that brought me, I didn't, didn't want her to pass. But now I was like, man, we have a reality of resurrection. And I'm thankful for those griefs in my life and your life. And another way you can look at it when your world is shaking, God is the one shaking it. He's the one shaking it because he wants you to look to him and not this world. Um, you can, I'll, I'll look at, I read a quote this week from a theologian. God uses chronic pain and weaknesses along with afflictions what, as he chisels uh, for the sculpting of our lives, our felt weaknesses deepens our dependence on Christ for the strength of each day. The weaker we feel, the harder we lean in. It's by God's grace, he allows us to feel the grief of this world. Second Corinthians twelve nine emphasizes this when Paul's wanting, and eat, you know, to take his affliction away, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. He goes on to say, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He's saying, if I'm gonna get more gracious, amen, because it's gonna make me lean in towards Jesus Christ to be more dependent where, there's, <laughs> where there truly is only hope. So God uses affliction to justify, to sanctify, and to bring about uh, destruction. The wage of sin is death. There is a reality. If you do not turn to Jesus, what Jesus is beckoning us, come come to me. That's his hope. That's why Jesus came. Come to me so you can experience man's soul rest, eternal life, forgiveness, the love of the Father. This is why he's come. But listen, there will be a day of destruction. There will be a day of judgment and only those in Christ will be deemed righteous. Not your goodness, but only those in Christ by faith. Listen to God's heart as he does not grieve. Uh, he does not afflict from his heart. He doesn't rejoice in the destruction of sinners. Ezekiel 33 verse 11, it says it this way. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. How much pleasure? No pleasure. But that the wicked turn from his way and live, turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why? Why will you die, O house of Israel? Does he want that? Does he desire that? No. Uh, Jeremiah 32, um, um, Matthew 23, verse 37 says it this way, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. This is Jesus talking. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Does, does God allow people in, uh, to experience hell? Yes, but he does not desire. There's no, 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 no joy in it. Jesus on a rescue mission, to bring, to, to bring us out of our, our burning house and our sinful hearts unto, unto God. Uh, so another, a way that you can look at it, when God afflicts, it's, it's called in Isaiah 28, verse 21, a strange work or an alien work. It's not in his most natural disposition. That's why he doesn't do it from his heart. It's, it's not that he won't do it, but it's not nearest to his heart. 
what is most natural to him. What is most natural to him, according, according to Jeremiah thirty-two forty-one, is when he brings mercy, he does it with his whole heart. Not some, his whole heart, with his whole soul. See, he doesn't afflict from his heart. He, he, he wants to bring mercy. That is what is most natural to who God is. So what it, what's so crazy is that's not natural to who we are. So when, when I, when, if you provoke me, my most natural bent is, 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 is grouchiness and, and, I'm, and I can be quick-tempered. And I hate it. I just, I'm just being honest. That's not who God is. He is gracious and long-suffering when he's provoked. That is his most natural bent. Mercy is most natural to him. Not, 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 not punishment. It doesn't mean that he won't. So if you're here for our, our Jonah series, Jonah said this as he, he relented against Nineveh. Listen to Jonah 4 too. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is, is, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. This is what is closest to God's heart. So it doesn't mean that he doesn't inflict. He just doesn't do it from his heart. This is a strange work and a natural work. And then I want to look at the holiness of God. The holiness of God helps reconcile and harmonize uh, this as well. So holiness, holiness, we hear a lot in church. It's the some, some attributes of all, of all who God is. Uh, he's, not, he's not just love or just or, or, or merciful. He's all these and all his attributes of mind is holy. And when his character is on display, it's good. So a lot of things people means, a lot of people think uh, holiness means great. And God is great, but holiness from God's mouth about his, his self-disclosure is goodness, which is super interesting. So for, for instance, as uh, God relented uh, against Israel as they made um, the golden calf, Moses was shocked. And he's like, man, God, I wanna see your glory. If you, if you know that in Exodus 33, he's like, God, show me your glory. And when God responds, what he doesn't, what he doesn't say is I'm gonna show you my greatness. You know what he says? I'm gonna reveal to you my goodness. God's self-disclosure about his glory is like, I'm going to show you my goodness. Listen to Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7, as he shows Moses his glory. The Lord, so I'm just reading what God says about himself. This is my challenge where, will you let God teach you this morning? The Lord passed before him, that's Moses, and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, listen, a God merciful. What's the first words out of God's mouth about himself? I'm merciful. I'm gracious, I'm slow to anger, I'm bounding in steadfast love. Is that, is that how you view God? That's what he's saying. He's, he's like, I am, I am long-suffering, wanting mercy and faithfulness. Let's keep going. It says this, keeping steadfast love for how, how many? Thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But then it shows a harmonized heart or a paradox, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children's and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. God's, in his natural bent, is like forgiving of thousands. Uh, so what it, what it is here, it, this is not symmetrical. This is asymmetrical. It says, this is who I am. It has a greater value on saying, this is what I long for, but this is what I'll do. My, my hope is this, but 
there will be consequences for sin. So there's, there's a, a paradox here, because what God said in himself is, is, is this. From his holiness proceeds, I'm a forgiving, unforgiving God. And like, how does that work? I'm a forgiving, unforgiving God. So let's look at God's holiness. It means that he is also separate from sin. This is great news from us. God, there is no sin in God. He did not create sin. He, you, he will afflict us and even use sin to serve him. But he, he is separate. He's completely holy and good. And he's devoted to seeking his own honor. This is great news for us. Now, why? Because sin is a disease that lives all in our hearts that's killing us and everything around us. This is good news because he is separate from sin. He's not okay with sin. He's not okay with injustice. He's not okay with oppression. He's not okay with the evil in the world or the violence in the world. He's not okay with death. He's not okay with the guilt and shame that we carry. He's not okay for the sufferings that you have gone through. Why? Because it's all a part of sin and he is distinct from sin. He's separate from sin and he hates sin. And God wants to destroy sin. He wants to destroy sin. It's kind of like a father looking at his son who's sick. And, and, and maybe ridden with cancer. He doesn't look at his son in like in frustration. He draws near to his son. If if your child is sick, your heart is more drawn to your to your sick child and want to rid them of their disease. See, as a good loving father would hate the the, the sickness that's in the child, they would seek to, des- to destroy what the disease in the child, not the child. That's what God does as he draws near to us in Jesus Christ. He wants to rid the sin that's in our hearts that's going to destroy you. This is the beautiful truth of a harmonized heart. God is holy. He's not okay with sin, but Jesus came down to deal with our sin. Jesus is the hero. He's the hero that defeats sin, Satan, and death. You know what Jesus said? He goes, I did not come for the well. I came for the sick. Know why? Because all of us are sick. And he knows the only remedy for sin is his precious blood to rid us of the wrath of God, to take and wash away our sin, to, to allow us not only, he dealt with the penalty of sin by his death, but also the power of sin by his spirit that we walk in freedom and forgiveness under the beloved banner of the Father. But you have to understand that you're, that you're, that you're sick. What I'm most concerned about I'm going to be straight with you. In our community is people just think they're good. Scripture says there's not, there's not one righteous, not one. And I talk to a lot of people who are in church, and I'm not sure they get it. And I love them to death because they'll just talk about how good they are. And what I'd say is <laughs> I don't think you get it because the study of sin, to really understand it, it's a study of contrast. Because, yeah, you can find the next best person that you're better than. That's not that hard. If you can't find someone better than you, you're, you're, you're a mass murderer. I, I don't know. Like you, you're, you can always find someone that you think you're better than. But the, the study to understand God's grace is a study of contrast of who God is. And as I was mentioning earlier, I want you to experience the grace of God. It's only found in Jesus Christ. It's a study of contrast to understand. This is why we always say there are no perfect people. Why? Not to shame, to understand that you're not perfect, but only Jesus is. It's a study of contrast. See, everyone can justify their sin. Listen, until you see God. When you see God, there's no justification. I want to read this passage from Isaiah. And Isaiah, a prophet of God, Isaiah, a prophet of God, had an oh crap moment when he saw who God was. And that's what I hope that you have this morning. He's like, oh no. 
because Isaiah was looked to by the people of that country as a man of God, lived above reproach. He, you know, he was, he was a standard. Listen to Isaiah 6 when he sees God. It says, in the year of King Uzziah, uh, the, in the year that King Uzziah died, this is verse 1, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne. So he saw who God is, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Now listen to verse 2. Above him stood the sephirim, that's angels. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his, his feet. And the two, he flew. And listen. And one called to one another and said, Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. They're, they're just praising who God is. The whole earth is full of his glory, his beauty, his majesty. See, there's, God created everything good. What, what you see in the world is not good. It's because of us who are sinner, sinners. Now listen to verse 4. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and, and the house was filled with smoke. Now listen to what Isaiah said. This is the prophet of God. And I said, woe is me. I want to come undone. I just saw God. I'm going to be destroyed. That, that's, as you see God, you see that you're a sinner who deserves destruction. Now listen to this. For I am lost. Again, this is a prophet of God saying, I'm lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips. As it talks about in scripture, whatever proceeds from the mouth comes from the heart. He's saying, my heart is ridden with sin and it's sick. And what? And I dwell, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes, why? Why does he get to this spot? For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When you see who God is, you start to see who you are. And it makes you have this oh no moment. This is why the Ten Commandments were given to us. A lot of people don't know that. It's like, I got to keep the Ten Commandments so God will love me. No, the Ten Commandments will show you who God is, which is glorious and holy, and you are not. I mean, if you go through the Ten Commandments, you're not scoring a 70. You're a zero. This is to show who God is and who you are not. Like who? So when it says, have no other gods before me, no one's ever done that for like a moment. It says to seek the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. We don't do that. We make other gods all the time. Our heart is ridden with idolatry and looking for hope and other things besides God. It talks about in scripture, do not commit adultery. It's like, well, at least I kept that one. Jesus says, you look at a woman with lustful intent, you've committed adultery. It says, do not commit murder. It's like, well, I haven't done that one. It says, you look with someone that anger in your heart. It's as if you committed murder. See, it's a study of contrast. Say, you're not that person. You're a sinner who needs Jesus. And Jesus came, what, for the sick? He came for you. See, the beautiful truth of a harmonized heart is that we deserve the justice of God. We do. But Jesus took it. He took the wrath of God. So we could always have, man, the love of God, the smile of God. But those are only for those in Christ, in Christ alone. See, in the cross of Christ, you see justice and mercy, they kiss. And this is where we stand. That we stand at the center, the center of the cross. And we're forgiven, we're beloved, and we're known. Um, again, God is not surprised by your sin or your failures or anything. What's surprising is grace. That's what's surprising. When you look at the cross, you should be shocked that God loves me and you, a sinner. Um, we'll talk about it here in a second in closing is when you come to communion, is it's finished. As far as the east is from the west, you are forgiven. <clears throat> and God, God is not like disappointed in your struggles. He's just not. I think you can look at the cross and be like, God, God's, he's not surprised. 
He's not disappointed. I think what God's more, more disappointed in is our lack of belief in what he says. That Jesus paid it all and that he loves you and he's for you and he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you. That you are, you are forgiven, that you're his. He says, believe. What grieves his heart is not you, it's your unbelief. That's why Jesus says, come to me, come to me. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us respond by faith, by the spirit of God, that we would see the truth of who you are, who you've always been. Jesus is a sharpening of who you are, God, so we can see it more clearly. That you are gracious, abounding in love. God, help us experience that by your spirit this morning. Help us believe what you say is true and walk in light of the beauty of Christ. That we'd say, that we respond by coming to him and experiencing that soul rest. I ask that in Jesus' name, amen.